The reading this morning will be from Genesis chapter 40. Now it happened that after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. And the captain of the bodyguard appointed Joseph as overseer over them, and he attended to them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night. Each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. Now Joseph came to them in the morning and, and saw them, and behold, they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were with him in confinement in his master's house, saying, Why are your face so sad today? Then they said to him, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not, do not interpretations belong to God? Recount it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer recounted his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. And it, it was... At, as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup <clears throat> was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will, be put, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it goes well with, your, with you, and please show me loving kindness by remembering me to Pharaoh and getting me out of this house. For I was, in fact, stolen from the land of, of, Hebrews, of the Hebrews, and even here I have, put, I have done nothing that they should have put me into the pit. And the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, so he said to Joseph, I also saw my dreams, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread in my, on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three ba baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, will lift up your head off of you, and you will ha and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. Thus it happened on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. These are the very words of God. Blessed be the words of God. many of you know his name, you would know him from the 
his most famous writing, which is uh, The Pilgrim's Progress. I recommend it to everyone. It is a phenomenal read about the allegorical and allegorical telling of the Christian life, of the Christian walk. But prior to him reading, or I should say, or writing, or prior to actually when the writing began, John Bunyan, after he became saved, he became a preacher, he was a tinker. That means that he, his primary profession was to fix tin pots, is what he did. He was not educated in any of the famous universities, not educated in any universities at all. He had been a soldier in the Civil War that occurred in England, and he was a man that was born in 1628. He had been arrested for open-air preaching. It was seen as an act of sedition at the time. Uh, the government, the king, feared what the demagogues or those people that would stir up the normal everyday people would bring about revolution or whatnot. Even though John Bunyan avoided aligning with any particular political faction in an, in an effort to mitigate the chance of arrest, he was arrested for open-air preaching. He was arrested even though he could have left the town, he was afraid that leaving might drag other weaker brethren with him. He was placed for three months in the prison at Bedford, and those conditions were not good. Now, it was not the worst prison, but it was not a good prison. There was little light. There was no bathing facilities. The cells were overcrowded, and his daily sustenance was one quarter of a loaf of bread per day. The prison was also riddled with what was referred to then as prison fever, otherwise that we know as typhus, and it claimed the lives of many prisoners. He was separated from his family, including a daughter which he had just had who was blind. This was his second wife. His first wife had died. Three months he was in that prison. He was given the option to leave, and he said if he would only stop preaching, he said he would not do that, and he ended up in prison for 12 years. Away from his family, away from his blind daughter, his other children, away from his wife. The, luckily, he had a church that took care of his family some, and he made thousands of shoelaces to provide a meager form of sustenance for his family. During that course of 12 years, he would write The Pilgrim's Progress. But those 12 years were 12 trying years of suffering just for preaching God's word. I've chosen to talk about John Bunyan in the beginning here, as the title of my messages, message could be called Promises and Suffering, 
And I would say a little underneath of that, if we were to put in parentheses a subtitle to that, how did you hear the Lord? Because this is, was just read as a story about Joseph, dream interpretation, two people that are not believers in God, false imprisonment, and suffering. There were a couple of interesting things as, and before I start, I do want to pray before we get any further. Glorious, heavenly Father who is filled with loving kindness, who has given mercy upon all those who he has chosen to save. Please be with us as we hear your word, as we hear this narrative, this historical narrative out of Genesis about Joseph, about the cupbearer and the baker. Allow your word to fill us, allow your word to soften our hearts, allow your word to show us your character, to show us that loving kindness, to learn from your word as our true instruction. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A couple things as I think about this particular passage then, about these 23 verses that we have here. Did Joseph know God was with him? Did Joseph know that God was with him? If you recall from the story of Joseph, we do not hear of any miraculous encounters with Joseph right in, in amongst here, right? We know that he was, uh, he, we, we don't hear of anything that is occurring right in these particular uh, stories that are here. Uh, we don't hear about him hearing from the Lord uh, when he was in Potiphar's house. We don't hear about him hearing from the Lord when he had received the coat of many, what we know as many colors. Uh, we don't see anything. Uh, we know his brothers were jealous. We know he had a dream. A dream of leaves. Right? And we know from last week in 39 that it said the Lord was with him. But we but we don't necessarily see, or we don't see those miraculous encounters with the Lord that have marked many of the patriarchs up until this point in time. We don't see speaking in dreams, we don't see ladders, we don't see angels, we don't see any of those things. What we do see is we have a dream that looks like his brothers are going to bow down before him, which they are upset about. We see a coat that will be dipped in goat's blood to show his father that he's dead. We will see that he is sold into slavery to an Egyptian. But as I search the scriptures in here, I don't see the miraculous, what we would call miraculous hearing that some of his other family members have had. Yet it does say four times in Genesis 39 that the Lord was with him. 
Now, I want to take you back to the subtitle of this message that is not on the screen. It says, how did you hear the Lord? He's been accused of trying to sexually violate his employer's wife. Falsely accused of that. He's thrown in prison now. And just so, and sometimes it's a little flat in our, and remember the Bible gives us exactly what we need. Doesn't give it any more, doesn't give us any more, doesn't give, it any, give us anything less. But I want you to understand that, Joe's, that, that Joseph's uh, imprisonment is probably right now a few years. What the story we're going to get into now is not, didn't, it isn't like he was in prison three days ago and now. But this is, this is the idea that are many years. 39 said the Lord is with him four times, but and what I'm driving at here is how did he know the Lord was with him? Now, I'm going to propose to you that he was taught by his parents. I'm going to propose to you that they would have told him as, as these early Jew, what would be Jewish believers, they would be the epitome of what the Shema was to hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. They would teach them on the doorposts and stuff that they would have told him about God. They would have told him what the Lord was like, how the Lord had provided, how the Lord had destroyed the earth and saved eight, how the Lord had separated from the ziggurat that was at Babylon, right? Had separated the nations of the world. That's how we got everybody. He would have... He, they would have told him these stories. He didn't have these. He did not have this. But he had those around him who believed, who told him about God. And what I'm getting at here is he did not hear from God directly that is recorded in the scripture. He is going into these situations about what he knows about God from what he's been told about God. Now, what I'm driving at is the similarities we want to see about ourselves with that. So, if the title was Promises and Suffering, How Did You Hear the Lord? We're going to see some examples of how somebody that has heard has, knows about the Lord and how they react without having miraculous voices from heaven, miraculous dreams from heaven, seeing angels, Erecting, uh, erecting altars and things because of direct conversation they've had. There's no wrestling that we see of Joseph with the Lord. There's a lot of lessons to learn here for ourselves. Because it says the Lord was with him. How did he know? Well, I'm going to tell you how he knew. Because he had been told the Lord is with him. He'd been told the Lord is with him. And he believed in the promises of the Lord. He believed in the promises of the Lord. So as any good three-point sermon will be, it's going to be three points. So this is where we're going to go at. We're going to deal with the first four verses, and I'm, going to, I'm, I'm breaking all the rules of preaching, right? I'm telling you what the outline is. We're going to deal with the first four verses, then we're going to deal with the next 15 verses, 5 through 19, and then the last 21, 20, 21, 22, and 23, the last four verses. But I want you to keep in the back of your mind, and we'll change it a little bit now, we'll say, 
what did Joseph do with what he heard about the Lord? What did Joseph do with what he heard about the Lord? Verse 1. Now, it happened. That is the fancy term of ayatol in, in Hebrew. It's, a, it's used throughout thousands of times throughout the scripture. It said, now it happened. Uh, it's, the, it's the fancy way of saying it's the consecutive imperfect. In other words, so it's saying now it happened. So this event where he was arrested, and even though it's multiple years, the next most important thing after that arrest is this. The next most important thing that happened to Joseph is this thing that is being told about Joseph now. Now it happened that when his master heard the words of his wife, oops, why did I get there? <laughs> There's another value told, by the way. Excuse me, verse 40. Verse 41. Now it happened that after these things, after he had been arrested, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Okay, so we say, so he's been arrested, it's multiple years, and we're going to see why it's multiple years, because of the next verse, we're going to hold off getting there just for a moment. He said, now it happened after these things, these things that happened prior, these things of the, 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 the false imprisonment, now after these things, after years, potentially two to three years now, he is in prison, falsely imprisoned. Okay, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their Lord. Now, we know because it's in Scripture that it's important that it's in Scripture, and we know that all Scripture is God-breathed, and that it is worthy of reproof, instruction, so forth and so on, right? So we know that this is important because it's landed in the text that we have. And it's important that we know that the cupbearer and the baker, the king of Egypt, offended their Lord, the Pharaoh, that they offended him. And so now we have, we, Joseph's world of false imprisonment has expanded to include two people from Egypt and two people that have made Pharaoh mad. And that's where we land this story at. So linking to the previous thing, this is the most important thing we could hear next is this particular story. And it says, and Pharaoh was furious with his two officials that idea is there, is that is just beyond a little bit upset. You, you know, you added a little bit too much salt to the bread. You spilled the wine out of the cup. Something has offended Pharaoh to a degree that has ended them up in prison. And not only has it offended them, but it, it apparently has occurred, offended him, but apparently it has occurred at, at very close to the same period of time. Warning, you're not going to find out what it was. And the reason we don't find out what offended Pharaoh is because it's not important for what we're supposed to learn from this text. We can make all sorts of assumptions or, uh, or, or, or try to, to figure things out, but that's not what's important. What's important is Joseph is part of the line of seed that will bring about Christ. Pharaoh was furious. Let's see, I forgot I had this note here. It says, and this story is not a story about false imprisonment either. 
It's a story about Joseph knowing the Lord, knowing that the Lord is with him too. Now we could say that the cupbearer then is a person that is like a butler, perhaps. You know, he probably has more duties than just bringing the cup and filling it up with wine. More than likely, he is tasting the wine too to make sure it's good or to make sure it's not poison to do that. The baker would be just that, would be, a, would be primarily baking the bread or those sorts of things that would be there. Some other cooking duties would be also required by him. And they were both in the head position of those roles. They were responsible. They had responsibilities. They've ended up in prison with Joseph. It says in verse 3, So he, Pharaoh, put them in confinement of the house of the captain of the bodyguard, who uh, in the jail, so that would be Potiphar, because we go way back to 39.1, we find out that Potiphar is the captain of the bodyguard. Okay? Potiphar is in charge of the prison where Joseph is imprisoned at. So put him in confinement at the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. So now we have our little, uh, little trifecta of people. This is, this is who it is. We're not going outside of, of these people right now. It is these three who are going to be bound together in this story, and it's going to tell us something about God's character, or multiple things about God's character. And it says there in four, and the captain of the bodyguard appointed Joseph as overseer over them, and he attended to them, and they were in confinement for some time. So as was spoken about last week, so apparently Joseph again is notice for what he is doing and he is put in charge some responsibility has been given to him and he has a direct charge over this cupbearer and this baker now he is worthy of this position to be over them, but we shouldn't think to ourselves that, oh, this is good. This prison isn't great. This is not a good thing to be in prison at this period of time. Right? But we do know this. Joseph must be trusting in God and everything that's going on. Psalm 125.1, Psalm 125.1, and you'll know I'm reading out of the LSB, 125.1, Lord is Yahweh in that. Psalm 125.1, those who trust in Yahweh, those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which will not be shaken, but will abide forever. Trusting in the Lord. Think about that or as, as like this mountain they could see. The thing is unmovable. 
It is so massive before them that this is what, here's a picture of what it looks like to trust in the Lord. Look at that mountain, can't be moved. This is what it's like to trust in the Lord. You won't be shaken. Regardless of your circumstances, you won't be shaken. Or, how about flip back to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Verse 11. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. He is their help and their shield. So you trust in the Lord. Your mount, your, your, it's like the, the trust in the Lord is like a giant mountain that can't be moved. You might trust in your little Egyptian gods over here that, that, that we have that we have planted, that, that we've made out of wood and things like this, but but my God reigns. The God that that, that Joseph worship reigns in heaven. And he's the one who knows where the snow comes from. And he's the one that sends the lightning bolts forth. And he's the one that his parents had told him about. And he's the one who listened when his parents spoke about the Lord. My God reigns is what he would say. And when I look at him, it is like, when I trust in him, it is like a mountain. And guess what? He also protects me, how about this, for his glory to be shown. He protects me so that his glory will be shown. He, his glory is shown even as Joseph is in prison. His glory is shown when John Bunyan is in prison, who will, not, who will refuse to stop preaching the gospel. His glory is shown for trusting in the Lord. So we could say then that as we look at the, 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 first, the first chapter there, or the first couple of verses or so, that a believer trusts a person that is found in God's favor, a person that is chosen by God, a person that is a Christ follower, trusts in the Lord's plan, trusts in whatever God is doing in his life. Uh, he doesn't look to what God is doing in somebody else's life and says, I wish I had that. He trusts that whatever is happening right now is exactly what's supposed to happen in God's plan and forbearance. He trusts in that. So now we're going to go to the second part. That's the setup. We have the characters. We have the situation. We have the people. The actors are on this stage now, and that's going to set up the next set of verses through verse 19. And we could say here where we would say that God's anointed interprets the dreams. Maybe we could better say it. A believer acts as a believer regardless of the situation. A believer acts like a believer regardless of their situation. Because your situation appears poor does not absolve you from acting like you are one of God's chosen. Okay? 
So verse 5, then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt who were confined in jail both had a dream the same night. Each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. That tells us what's going on. Uh, they, are, they are two different people, two different dreams, two different interpretations. It's already telling us many times you don't have uh, uh, inductive reasoning in the scripture. It tells you what it's going to tell you. And it's going to tell us that there's an interpretation that's coming. Right here. And it says, Now Joseph came to them in the morning and saw them, and behold, they were dejected. They were overwhelmed by what they had seen in the dream. This dejection in the Hebrew word that is used there the wooden translation would be say that they look thin and emaciated. Now, we know that that's not the case, although prison could do that. But what it's, trying to, what it's trying to do is that hollow look because of something they have experienced. That, that, that look of great concern of, I don't know what this means, that this thing is overwhelming me. Whatever has happened in this dream is overwhelming them is taking over them, and Joseph can see it on their faces. They're not hiding it very well. So he asks Pharaoh's official, this is verse 7, who were with him in confinement in his master's house, saying, why are your faces so sad today? So, we know that we have that time frame in that something, so this is definitely different than the day before because he is pointing out to today that something has changed. The scripture has told us that they both had dreams separate from themselves, separate from each other, and both their own interpretations. And so what has changed? Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. I'm going to pause right there just for a moment. That no one to interpret it, common in pagan cultures. Dream interpretation. Very, very, very common. Uh, this, is, this is nothing unusual at this period of time. It is nothing unusual to think that you had a dream and it must mean something. We see this has taken over with psychoanalysis, all sorts of... Uh, these, uh, well, we'll just call it psychobabble that is out there, that, that is given, right? That something, your dreams mean something more. Well, not really. We're not going to fall, we're not going to fall prey to that, but they have fallen prey to that. That there's something that for some reason, these dreams have come up before, right? Now, we understand that there are various points in time in the scripture where God has worked through a dream. And he has pointed out at various points in time that is clearly something from heaven that is working through a dream. This does not mean that this happens to us. Many times the reason you're dreaming is because you've had a bad cheese sandwich. Okay? It doesn't match with scripture. It's not from God. <laughs> okay? Don't get wrapped up in this whole dream interpretation stuff. It's very, a lot of it's found in, in pagan idolatry. Just a warning. But he sees, and they say, 
What are we to do? There is no one to interpret it. We don't have our soothsayers. We don't have the people that are going to cut open goats and look at livers to tell us what this dream means. Now, I'm not joking. That's what they would do. They would cut open live animals. They would look at organs, and they would give some sort of, of meaning to it. Just like the idea of reading tea leaves. All sorts of things, stuff like that, right? We don't have anybody to do it because we're in prison. We are separated from our religious system that we know. Nobody can do this thing. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Oh. Doesn't this belong to the Lord? The God I worship the true God in heaven, the one that has ordained all things, the one that brings both the sun and the rain, the one with the rain falls on both the, the good and the wicked at the same time, the one who has set the boundaries of the earth, uh, of the ocean. Don't all these things belong to him? Perhaps I should have just made this message just on this particular part of this verse. Because Joseph is making a statement here about the nature and character of God that is probably unknown to these Egyptians who worship all sorts of false gods. He's saying that everything that happens to you belongs to him. There is nothing outside of the bounds of the Lord. Everything falls under his purview. Everything on heaven and earth falls under God's view. He says, don't they belong to God? And now we know what Joseph believes about God. Not only does he, he knows that God is with him because he then says, recount it to me, please. Tell me what you heard. Tell me what was in the dream. And then I'll tell you what it means. So the chief cupbearer recounted his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, those beholds in the scripture, look at this. Behold. Here's an important part of the scripture. In my dream, look. Look at this. Listen to what I'm saying. Here it was. There was a vine in front of me. This vine appeared. And on the vine were three branches, and as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now, Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. So, naturally, as a cupbearer, the one that provides the wine, the common drink of the time, is one who provides the wine. Here's an image of him preparing the wine, putting it in the cup, and giving it to his king, Pharaoh. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes, I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Verse 12, then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cup bearer. Oh, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm getting back my old position. 
for whatever it was that got me here must have been false. False charge, perhaps. Perhaps somebody blamed me for something I didn't do, and now I'm going to be restored, is what the cupbearer is hearing. Now, please do not look into these three branches and try to make it into some sort of Trinitarian viewpoint. That is not what it's about. Read enough bad Christian commentaries and you'll find <laughs> these things. That is not what it's about. This is mere, really, I'm telling you right now, this is merely about a believer in what the Lord is doing and how he's living in a situation and what he's doing with what he knows of the Lord and how he's trusting in God. This is what it is. This isn't some sort of weird Jesus reference or things like that. It's not that. It's just merely, Joseph is trusting in God. He is acting like a believer in Yahweh, a believer in the Lord, even in an unsavory condition that he's in. I am trusting in the Lord because whatever is happening to me right now is the best thing that could be happening to me right now. So he gives this, he, he gives this out, the, this, this interpretation out to, to the cupbearer. He says in verse 14, only remember me. One of the first words I ever learned in Hebrew is a car, remember. You see it all, remember, remember, remember me. When it goes well with you, please show me loving kindness. That's another Hebrew word, has said. You see a lot of that in the book of Ruth. Has said remember, by remembering me to Pharaoh and getting me out of this house. For I was in fact stolen from the land of the Hebrews. Even here I've done nothing that they should have put me into the pit. It goes well with you. When it's shown that the interpretation I gave you is true. Remember me. Remember me. Say a kind word to Pharaoh about me. And maybe I'll get out of this situation. Next up is the baker. Now, we just, just a pause. Just notice how he's acting. There is a level of trust that Joseph is showing that doesn't need to be specifically spelled out in this text. We're given exactly what we need to know. His actions towards others are demonstrating what he believes. His actions towards others and in his situation is demonstrating what he knows about the Lord. Think about all the, all the stories of God's action that he would have heard from his father, from his mother, so forth and so on. But now the baker. Next up is the baker. And the chief baker, now hearing this, in their confinement, hearing this, the chief baker saw that he had interpreted the dream favorably. Thinking pretty good. So he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and here's that word again, behold. In my dream, when, the, when, it, when it happened to me when I was sleeping, and behold, the thing, the first thing I saw, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. Now, interestingly enough, this, this term for white, white bread, only used here in, in the Hebrew text. It's the only time we see it in the scripture. Uh, that is, and I only give this to you for interest of sometimes when you're reading 
Christian literature and stuff, this is referred to as uh, hapax legomen, right? Which means it's a word that's only used one time. You find it only once in the scripture. Only once that you find it there. And that's the word here, this white bread. And, you know, if you'll notice, you never hear about white bread elsewhere in the scripture. But here it is. For some reason, it is given to us a moment of description, this white bread. I have this white bread that is there in, in, uh, in the top basket, right? And it says in 17, and in the top basket, there was some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. And the, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Now, if we took a moment and we thought to myself, what in contrast to the cupbearer, remember he saw the grapes, he squeezed the grapes, they went right in the cup and he handed them right to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had it right there. But here, the things that he's preparing for Pharaoh are being eaten by birds. Something else is getting to them first. But you know, he's hopeful. Cupbearer had a great, great interpretation. He's hopeful. Then Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. So far, so good. Feeling pretty good about myself. Baker's like, hey, that's what he said to the cupbearer. We're all friends. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head off of you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. Well, that took a fairly dark turn. But... Who the interpretations belong to? They belong to God. And who is interpreting this? One of God's own. And who is trusting in God? Joseph is trusting in God. He's living as a believer in an unsavory condition that is there. Philippians 1.27 says, Only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain, at, remain absent, I will hear about your circumstances, that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Think about this. If we think about what Joseph is going to be put in charge at the highest levels. Think about how even these experiences with trusting in the Lord are going to, in, in the worst conditions, trusting in the Lord are going to affect how he does that affect how he sees things, affect his trust in the Lord. Easy, easy to trust in the Lord when you hit the lottery. Harder to trust in the Lord when you've lost everything. There's a reason why people become believers, but funny, funnily enough, it's not a word, funnily, but funnily enough, more people come to more people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior in difficult circumstances than they do in favorable circumstances. Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6, walk in wisdom. How about this? Walk in wisdom towards what? Outsiders. Redeeming the time. Let your words always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should answer each person. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, by keeping your conduct excellent among the Gentiles so that, that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, be, they may, because of your good works, 
as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. So regardless of the circumstances, it doesn't change the way we are to act. We are to trust in God regardless of what is happening in our lives. Trust in all things because whatever is happening is the best thing for you as a believer and it is also the thing that will most glorify God as your Lord and King. So we come into these last verses, 20, 21, 22, 23, as we we can say this. I have, a t- I have a little title there for myself, just, is Joseph forgotten with a question mark? Perhaps we should say this. One found in God's sight, remember, all things belong to the Lord. One found is chosen by God is never forgotten. It's not about how we feel about a situation. It's about what we know about God. It says in verse 20, thus it happened. Now behold, it happened on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. That's a sign of trust that has occurred there, that Pharaoh is trusting Back to trusting in the cupbearer. He is now the chief cupbearer again. But, 22, pay attention to those conjunctions, but he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. And then that story, you know, that, that this is, is, if this were a movie, if we were watching this, we would be super unsatisfied with this ending. Because Joseph has done these things, he has trusted in the Lord, he is in prison wrongly, he says, remember me, and as people are wont to do, they don't remember. He says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. We could excuse the chief cupbearer, because he's a lot like us. All of a sudden, when the the bad situation has turned favorable, we have forgotten all those bad things that happened. I want to put that behind me. I don't want to remember those things. And he has forgotten poor Joseph. But I don't think Joseph has forgotten that God is still working. Because he knows things that not only when he says the statement, do not interpretations belong to God? Go to Psalm 139. Turn with me to Psalm 139. 139.7, remember the interpretations, these, these things that aren't even physical. Right? The interpretations are just thoughts they belong to the Lord and look at look at Psalm 139:7 where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence pretty sure Joseph knows this 
that he is not even in that situation alone. We know that when Moses recorded this back in chapter 39, he said, and the Lord was with him. There isn't a case where he's not outside of the Lord's presence. Verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. That behold again, behold, look, you're there. You're right there. Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. Turn forward a few, uh, a few pages. Isaiah 45, verses 2 and 3. I'm going to grab it from one because we get that. Say, this is the Lord speaking. It says, Thus says Yahweh to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken hold of by his right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so the gates will not be shut. Look, the Lord is doing all those things. It says, Yahweh, I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through the iron bars. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I, Yahweh, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. The Lord does all these things. These are things that, that regardless of the circumstances, those who are found in the Lord, found in Christ Jesus, like you, I said in Sunday school today, Ephesians 2.6, you are already seen as seated in the heavenly places. Regardless of what is happening to you here, found in Christ Jesus, you are already seen in that position in heaven. You are already known in heaven. You will not walk into heaven as a stranger. You'll walk in as known in heaven. Now, there's going to be nobody standing at the gates of heaven that says, who's this guy? Or who's this gal? You're known and you'll be known. So what can we learn from such a story? Trusting in the Lord is not found in the interpretation of the circumstances that we're in. We don't exposit our current circumstances to understand what God is doing. It's been said by somebody much smarter than me, it says, much like Hebrew, the Hebrew language, it needs to be, it's read backwards. And sometimes we read and see what God has done by looking backwards. Oh, he was with me there. Just that it, there is a reason for Joseph's suffering. Any suffering that you're going through or have gone through is not without meaning. There is nothing without meaning in God's earth, in God's universe. Any suffering you see is for a point. We might not understand that at the moment, but it is not lost. It is not meaningless suffering because God is sovereign over everything. Without knowing that God is sovereign over everything, without understanding his sovereignty, look, Joseph just said, he, God is the one who is the God over the interpretation of dreams. He's the one that's just over, over thoughts. He's over all these things. And so, but if we don't know God is sovereign, when we face troubles or diagnoses or, or diagnoses or phone calls or bad situations or car accidents, 
we can end up confused, bitter, hateful, and crushed. I don't see Joseph that way. I see a man that did not have a miraculous encounter with the living God like some of his relatives did, and yet he is trusting in what the Lord is doing and that the Lord will see him through. Found in Christ, 1 Corinthians 13. Found in Christ as I hope all of you are. If you're not, I will spend as much time as necessary to tell you all about my Lord and Savior who saves all. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then. So we see in a mirror dimly. We can't quite see everything, right? We can't see it as clear as we'd like to. We see as a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. Of course, Romans 8.28, we've said it many times here in the past number of weeks. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So a believer will trust in that Lord's plan. A believer will act as a believer during any of his circumstances and trusting in what he's doing. And a believer will not try to understand God necessarily through the circumstances he's going through right now. He will look to the scripture that has been given that tells us what God is like, that tells us who he is. Proverbs 3 Verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. How about this? Great, everybody seems to stop there. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the, hold on a second. He's my Lord and Savior. If Christ lives in me, then he's the one that guides and is in control of my life. Where I walk, there is no place I do not walk without him. But it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Regardless of the situation, I'm trusting in Christ Jesus. You know, it's not about our feelings. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts, the Lord's thoughts, are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. We can just ask Job. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Interpretations belong to the Lord. Christian, follower of Jesus, go forth with courage regardless of your current situation. Eternity lies before you. Eternity lies before you. 
2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our momentary light affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Again, if you do not know Jesus, please see me after the service, and I will be more than glad to tell you about Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord if you are a believer. Trust in the Lord as you hear these words. Trust in the Lord as you go forth. Trust in him and all that you do. And if you're confused about what the Lord is doing in your life, open up your Bible. Read Ephesians chapter 1. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, words escape us. We will spend our the eternity comprehending what was done to save us, and we will do so to glorify you. We look forward to the day when hope and faith fade away and we see you with our eyes, eyes that are not clouded, but eyes that see clearly your magnificence and glory. Please help us to trust in you in all of our days here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.